blessed and when that Jesus be, I see his free in thee. His joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. All the half has never yet been I once craved in joy and peace within. What a wondrous blessing I have saved from the awful gulf of sin. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy. Joy, let the blood. 
and Sister Olivia for that wonderful playing. Although, Brother Tony does a fabulous job, so he does a fabulous job for us. Wish I could do that well. I do too. Well, this afternoon we'll uh, turn our turn in our text over to John chapter 4 as well we'll start. Very familiar passage of Scripture. I, uh, this is my second time uh, presenting this message. The Lord added it on my heart last week when I was visiting there in Arkansas. And uh, it's, I guess if it has a title, it's Worship, What Should It Be? So we'll look here, beginning, of course, in John chapter 4. Just reading a few verses of this uh, passage, you could read the whole thing, uh, but I'd encourage you to read it yourself and your in your own time. But for the sake of time, we'll focus on just a few short verses. We'll begin there in verse 20. It says, Our our fathers worshipped... Excuse me, I'm going to back up just a few more verses. Back up into 17. It says, The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that thou saidest thou, tru- thou truly... The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me that an hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know, uh, you, you worship, you know not what. We know that what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is that when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman saith unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speaketh unto thee am he. And upon that he came, this came his disciples and marveled at what he had talked with the woman. Yet not man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? And the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, Come see the man which told me all things I have ever did. Is he not the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came unto him. And I'll stop in verse 30 there. Worship is not a concept that Uh, in the present day that men know truly what it is. You hear people talk about worship, but the concept of worship as we know it now has been polluted by men. Worship is a concept that does not seem to be common in today's society. But in terms of what worship truly is, 
Do we truly understand what the scripture states regarding what we should consider as worship according to the Lord? I believe the context here in John chapter 4 paints a pretty interesting picture of what Jesus is talking about here. Of course, he's mentioning here this woman at the well that her fathers worshipped at the mountain. And she says, she says, of course, you people, basically, you people worship it, believe that temple, the worship is in the temple at Jerusalem. But Jesus sets the record straight. He says, okay. He says, yes, this is, this, this is what, what happens right now. He says, but I'm telling you now that in the time to come soon, it will neither be at the mountain or at Jerusalem that this will take place. But he said, only those, he says, what? Ye worship you know, what you know not, what you know. Excuse me. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship what? In spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. So what is the word worship? What does it mean? The Strong's, and I'm, I'm not a, very astute Greek student, so I probably will botch this more than anything, but I'm going to do it anyways, because I believe in trying. So, it's prosquineo, which means to prostrate oneself in homage, to do reverence, to adore. And in the, and of course, in the New American Standard, where I did some of my studying, it occurred over 40 times in the New, New Testament in the New American Standard Version. So, Read that again. Prostrate oneself in homage to do reverence or adore. How often do we consider our worship as it is today in the Lord's assembly? I really encourage us to do some introspective looking at what the scripture talks about about worship versus what we actually do. In this instant where Jesus was speaking with the woman at the well regarding the covenant to come. <coughs> talking about the temple and the mountain there. And then he mentions worshiping and spirit and truth. What was he talking about? <coughs> I've got something in my throat. <coughs> I didn't use that number, by the way. That's okay, I will. Yeah. <coughs> so what was the importance of that of that mentioning there with, that Jesus was talking about in spirit and in truth? He says that God is a spirit and that those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, the truth is what we've got what right here, isn't it? We've got the truth right here. Jesus was the what? The way, the truth, and the life. That's what we talked about this morning. It said it went hand in hand. It went perfectly in hand in hand this morning. So the intention here was for him to, to draw notice to this woman. She, she said the Messiah was coming. And he says, I'm he. And what happened? She got excited and she, she went on and, and told everybody. Of course, we know that this was the particular time when Jesus was in Samaria. These weren't even the, the Jews, were they? Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. And I can't remember the lineage, it's been a while, but I won't dull you with that. But here, <clears throat> this meaning of worship would no longer occur in a specific location, but wherever the Lord's people were, in spirit and in truth. He was referencing the Holy Spirit, wasn't he? That would, of course, have to take place after Jesus was was gone, wasn't it, from the earth? But the Lord, but the Lord by His people, who had the presence of God, the Spirit, that's where worship would take place. So currently, in this present day, where's the Spirit dwell? It dwells in the local churches, right? So this is where the Spirit of the Lord is. Worship is again mentioned where we learn to submit ourselves to God through Christ. 
Worship is about laying ourselves down at the feet of Jesus and revering the Lord as he should be. This is more of an introduction to the topic. It's part of, we'll look at a number of topics in the coming weeks. But a few of those topics which we'll kind of preface is the faith of the patriarchs. What was their, where, was their, where did they worship? What happened with them? We'll cover that this afternoon. Next top, the next topic we'll look at is worship of the nation of Israel. And then lastly, what is, what's to happen? Worship of the church, right? How we are to worship the Lord. Our first place that we'll turn is over to Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12. We see so many t- today in today's society that change what the true intent and worship of. We see these uh, televised services where people make a show of it like a concert. Is truly that what God wants it to be, a concert or a, a self-fulfilling of one's flesh desires? It's not what worship is. That's really selfish for us to worship that way. But here in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 5, it says, And Abraham took Sarai and his, his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance and they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran and that they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abraham passed through the land and unto the place of Shechem, unto the plain of Moriah, not Moriah, and the Canaanites was there in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said unto him, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there buildeth an altar, he an altar, unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto the mountain of the east of Bethel, Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And it says, And Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south. So he mentions two specific instances. He left, the, he left Haran with Sarai, his wife, and again with Lot, his brother's son. And he traveled to the land that the Lord told him. He told him to leave. He told him to go. He said, Go. Do you think Abraham knew where he was going? I would venture to say according to scripture, he knew not where he was going. He was just he just took off walking. And yet the Lord revealed himself when he was ready for him to stop in Canaan. Because it says there plainly in verse 5, it says, <clears throat> he says that, well, excuse me, not verse 5. There in verse 7, it says, And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said unto him, Unto thy seed I will give this land. And there buildeth he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. He built an altar. The act of worship was implied here. To build the altar was to revere God. It says he built an altar, but he also offered a sacrifice there. That much is understood. So you see here, the act of worship was, and it's from the patriarch Abraham, he offered a sacrifice on an altar. He built the altar. He labored. Do you think he built it haphazardly with a few sticks and rocks? No, he built an altar. It doesn't say how much time passed there either. Then it says from there on, what did he do? He says, and he removed from thence unto a mountain at the east of Bethel and pitched a tent and having Bethel on the west and that Hai is actually Ai. That's what we commonly call Ai. In this particular translation, it pronounces it H-A-I. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So what do you do there? What's Bethel? Can somebody tell me? House of God. House of God. What's the significance of Bethel? 
Where, what was there? That's where God appeared. So Abraham, again, he built an altar and he worshiped the Lord there. How do we worship the Lord today? Is worship just to be on Sunday and Wednesday nights or whenever we get together as a, as a church group to have preaching and singing? Our worship is all the time. Scripture mentions over in Romans chapter 12, what does it say? Our life, a living and acceptable sacrifice unto God, right? I know that's a bit of paraphrasing there, but that's the intent of the Scripture there, is that we are to present our lives a living and acceptable sacrifice. What? Which is our reasonable, reasonable service. And our service is to be all of our life, isn't it? We give our life to the Lord. We trust the Lord. We submit ourselves to baptism. We're in the assembly. That's service. That, that's what the part of our service begins. It doesn't stop there, but it's continuous. The first and great commandment. That's the first and great commandment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And what do you say about neighbor? As yourself. So... Mm-hmm. So what are we? What what are we? What am I getting at here? What I do affects you. I've said that. How many Sundays have I said that? Just about every Sunday for the past eighteen months, I think I've said that. What I do affects you. What you do affects me. If my worship is not in tune, my worship affects you. Rather, it gives you an opportunity to stumble, and vice versa. Scripture is very pointed. Abraham had to set an example for all of that was with him. His servants, those that attended to his wife, those that attended to Lot and his family, of course, Lot and his family there. But he didn't pay any attention to them at that moment, didn't he? He built the altar and he worshiped God. So, Let's look at Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And verse 5. We'll actually start in verse 1 there and we'll read down to verse 5. And it said, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, of whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there of a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of the young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and will come again unto you. And Abraham took the burnt offering of wood and laid it upon Isaac his son, and then he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering, and that they went both of them together. And they came to the place, and God told him that of. And Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood thereon, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel called upon him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, and seeing that thou hast not withheld thine only son, thy son, thy only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes up and looked and beheld a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day that the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. 
It's a pretty intense moment there in a scripture. Most of the common world today would call this man crazy for what he did. That word there, worship, in Hebrew is shakan, which means in the, in the Strong's means the same thing, to prostrate or lay down, as well as depress, bow down, crouch, to humbly beseech, or to pay. Abraham's obedience to the command of the Lord was an act of reverence or bowing down to the Lord's wishes where he followed and he says, you go take your son and you're going to go to a place where I tell you and you're going to offer him, right? And what did Abraham do? He didn't withhold that. Brother Jim Jordan last weekend in Arkansas reminded me, he says, you know what he told him there? He says, you see that verse, you missed one thing. He says, you see where it says he told the two men, you stay here? He didn't just tell him you stay here. He says, the lad and I will go up to worship and we'll return to you again. He didn't say I will. He said, we will. So, he and, he and his, own, his only son went up to worship, didn't he? Went up to offer a sacrifice and he knew. Said the Lord God put him to test. He wanted... He wanted, he wanted him to understand. He wanted to see that his faith would be acted upon. And what did Abraham do? He did exactly what the Lord asked him to do. The Lord saw that his worship was acceptable. But it wasn't there that he stopped, was it? Abraham continued to serve the Lord all the days of his life until he was what? Until he passed from this world. What does the scripture talk about in Hebrews about Abraham? It says he sought what was promised to him all the days of his life, and he didn't, he, having patiently awaited, he received what? At the end of his life, didn't he? Abraham's service of worship was acceptable before the Lord. Our God being who he is, he doesn't change even from the Old Testament to the New. The intent of what is required of his servants is faith. Abraham, Abraham had that. And he, here we see a patriarch that worshiped the Lord as God found acceptable. He didn't do for himself what he wanted to do. He didn't find that it was good for him to do that. He did what the Lord asked him to do. So I asked the question, what should our worship be? We have these examples in the scripture to show us what is acceptable in our service of worship today. Let's look at Genesis 43. Just three verses we'll look at. I promise, only three. And it's to kind of give you a look at this word. 43 verse 26. It says, And Joseph came home, and then they brought him the present which he was in was in their hand into the house and bowed themselves to him to the earth. And he asked them of their welfare. And he said, I, is your father well, the old man of whom he spake? Is he yet alive? And they answered and said, thy servant, our father is in good health and he is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. They didn't know that this was their brother Joseph. Joseph was, by all means, the ruler of the land. He was second in command only to, only to Pharaoh, right? But these brothers come and prostrated themselves before him out of respect for the position. And I would deem to say fit that they prostrated themselves because they knew that God had placed him in, in, in this position of power. Not knowing that it was his brother, but yet, they still paid obeisance to him out of respect. And then later on, of course, we see that he reveals who he is. He left them, went and wept because he was so, he was, he was, what? He was, he was glad. He was probably glad to see him. He was probably upset. There was probably a, a mix, of, mix of emotions there, wasn't it? But yet later on, we don't see he repays evil to them for what they did to him, but yet he demonstrates love to them, doesn't he? 
Why? Because that's what God would have commanded. That would, that's exactly what God commanded of him and of us to those that would do us wrong. Yeah. That's our service of worship as well. Yes. We respect our leaders that are over us. We respect those and those that would seek to do us harm or that have done us harm. We do not have the right to show them evil or repay evil. But rather to show obeisance and our respect to our God as he would ask us to. And to show them the true way we should interact with one another. That's part of our service of worship, isn't it? Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And verse 18. This is uh, verse 18 of chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, and he that may establish his covenant which he swears unto thy fathers, and as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do, the, do it all, forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish." As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. Again, worship is not explicitly mentioned in this, in this text, but it's implied. It says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is to give thee power to wealth, and that he may establish the covenant which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. What is it that we do? We pay homage. We, re- we respect our God. And not putting any other God before him. It says, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into, the, into a good land, a land of brooks and of water and of fountains and depths that springs out of the valleys and hills and land of wheat. He talks about the abundance that he will provide for them, but what is it he requires for them as a people? To consecrate themselves and set themselves apart for worshiping and honoring, glorifying God, isn't it? What? What did you say earlier today? What was it? Through faith? By faith? Sound like a broken record. I feel like every Sunday I talk about that, don't I? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if we have faith, then we're going to worship God the way he expects for us to worship him. Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And it came to pass that when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. And said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoes from uh, off thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. So the captain of the host of the Lord was there before him. And Joshua's like, Who are you? Are you for us or against us? And he's like, And he, what does he declare? I'm here for the Lord. <laughs> And what did he ask of him? Remove your feet. This is holy ground. What did he do? What did Joshua do? He worshiped. He worshiped the Lord. Joshua's task and duty as, a, as the leader of the people of Israel, of course, this was after Moses' passing, was to do what? To lead them, right? Not only was he to lead them, but he was also to lead them by example and how he should worship and pay respect to God appropriately. As such, he was also a leader in worship to the Lord for the whole congregation of Israel at that particular time. I mean, he was chief among them, wasn't he? So again, here you see an example of how worship was laid out before the Lord, wasn't it? He bowed down. He paid homage to the Lord. As a people this current day and age, what do we typically do? 
we say we pray. How often do we hit our hit our knees or prostrate ourselves before the Lord? I'm not saying it's the only thing we should do. Talks about David danced before the Lord when the Ark of the Covenant went back into Jerusalem, wasn't it? Why? Because the Ark of the Lord was the presence of God in Israel at the time, wasn't it? And it had been out of the presence of Israel for some time before that, wasn't it? He danced before the Lord. It was acceptable. There are times when things are appropriate. I'm not saying we should all be dancing before the Lord, but there are times when we prostrate ourselves before the Lord. It's not to be an act to be shown to other men that we're Godly or this person that we esteem ourselves to be other above other people. It's an act of worship. It's an act of reverence. That being said, here when you see these examples in the Old Testament here, what did they do? They were talking about worshiping the Lord. But what did God find unacceptable? When they turned from the Lord, when they worshiped idols, when they ignored his commandments. We're going to look at Saul here in a minute. When they didn't pay the proper respect that God demanded of his people. What happened in those instances? They were punished for their disobedience. Oftentimes, the whole generation was wiped out. And it was a generational decline there because they didn't worship the Lord their God as they were supposed to. Of course, we see examples where they did excel in worshiping the Lord as he was, that the Lord requested of them. But I just don't have time to go through every one of those examples. We'd be here for weeks. <laughs> so again, what are we expected to do in our worship for the Lord? It's not just uh, when we come together in this building. It's when we are going about our daily lives. Prayer is an act of worship. Of course, we don't offer sacrifices now, but as the scripture says in Romans, our life is to be an acceptable sacrifice to him. Not just for ourselves, but as a body. I'm accountable to bear my own burdens. You're accountable to bear your own burdens, but we're supposed to share our burdens as well, but we're responsible for our burdens to the Lord. And that requires us to properly encourage one another, to be together, to be present. It's not only through showing respect to God, but showing respect to one another before God. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 5. I promise we're getting close to the end. 1 Samuel chapter 5. Talk about examples of not properly worshiping God. We'll look at that. First Samuel 5 and 14. Excuse me. I don't know what I did there, but I wrote it down incorrectly. That's a good trick. I did this last week too, so y'all don't laugh at me too hard. I think it's actually supposed to be over at 14, I think. Ah, chapter 15. Let's correct that for future reference. Chapter 15 and verse 14. <laughs> Y'all awake yet? And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites and the people spared from the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and that the rest we have utterly destroyed. What was the direction of God before that? Destroy it all. (laughs) Utterly destroy. That means to completely wipe out. There is no trace left. And what was Samuel's declaration there from the Lord? What is the bleeding of this... I hear in my ears. This is 
Saul's sin coming back before the Lord again to show him how he didn't do. He's like, so he asked him, he asked this question and Saul replies to him. He says, <clears throat> and Saul said, they are brought from the Amalekites. Oh, oh, we, we, look what we brought back. We brought me to surprise for the Lord. And Samuel said in him, verse 16, stay and I will tell you what the Lord has said to, uh, to me this night. And he said unto him, say on. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, Wast thou not made at the head of the tribe of Israel, and, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on journey and said, Go unto the utterly destroy, uh, to destroy the sinners of the Amalekites and fight against them that they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but did thy fly unto the spools and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way of which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He's like, he's defending himself here. But the people took of the spoils, the sheep and oxen, the chief things of which would have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God at Gilgal. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of the rams. For rebellion is a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is iniquity and adultery. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord and he hath rejected thee from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in thy words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. He's placing the blame on the people. What a sorry leader. He says, Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. What does Samuel say? I will not return with thee. And for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And what did he say? Sam, he sought to take hold of Samuel's garment in that next preceding verse. And guess what? It ran his robe because Samuel's like, no. You didn't do what the Lord said. He says, Samuel said in him, verse 26, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to the neighbor of thine, that it is better than thou. Ouch. So, was Samuel's sacrifices acceptable before the Lord? Unfortunately not. Why? Because he only obeyed part but he didn't utterly obey what the Lord told him. He says to destroy them, to consume them, which meant to wipe them out. You think those Amalekites that were left behind later on were forgiving to them? Probably not. There was a reason why the Lord told him to wipe the Amalekites out because they were a derision to the people of Israel. They caused them problems. They were steeped in idol worship. They caused people to be pulled away from the Lord. And the Lord said, they need to be gone. <laughs> do this. How often do we do the same thing where we think, oh, the Lord tells us something to do and we just, oh, we'll just do this a little bit and we'll do the rest later. Or we, you know, Not to trivialize it, but that's, that's how we bargain sometimes as people. But what does the Lord tell us about our flesh? We're supposed to submit, submit ourselves to the Lord through baptism and put our flesh to death say this for the millionth time where it's not like we're going to bury our old old man and dig him up and drag him around like a dead rotten corpse around town and resurrect him when we want to that's not acceptable to the Lord to only live according to the Lord's will when we want to the Lord demands of ourselves what? all of our heart soul on our mind, right? He, de he desires all of us. He doesn't desire a part of us. He desires that all men should come to the, what? Come to the truth, that's right. And knowledge of the truth. And that no man should perish, right? Huh. So what are you saying, Brother Tyler? What I'm saying here is we've got a lot to work on as the Lord's people. I know I do. It's a continual thing that we're supposed to work on. That's part of practicing it, isn't it? It's 
letting the Lord be perfected in us. Not that we're being made perfect without flaw, but we're being completed in Christ. Genesis chapter 4, we won't turn over there, but I'll, I'll reference it. We're all familiar with the passage of Scripture about Cain and Abel. Sacrifice was part of worship. This was probably the first act of worship recorded in Scripture. Talks about Cain and, and Abel offering sacrifice. Cain, of course, offering the fruit of the ground. And Abel was offering the sacrifice of the flock, right, wasn't he? Whom did he find acceptable? Abel's he's found acceptable. Cain was furious about it. His countenance, he's the Lord asking. The Lord specifically asking. Now, how many people would think about this? He says, don't, you're not doing so well. He's like, if you do well, will your countenance not be lifted? If not, what happens? Sin is crouching at the door. And what happened? He had an opportunity. Not many people were offered an opportunity like that to go to. But he was presented on the nose kind of here for him. And yet, what did he do? He let his anger get the best of him that his brother was favored above him and he killed him. And then he tries to cover it up and the Lord says, the blood of your brother is crying up from the land. What happened? He was cursed. Driven from where he was at, wasn't he? Says his flesh was marked. What was desired of Abel and Cain? But to offer proper sacrifice and service of worship. His worship was not accepted because why? He didn't observe what the Lord required of him. He wanted to do what he wanted to do before the Lord. Job chapter 1 and verse 4. There's much to be said about the book of Job. Often argue that Job's timing in a scripture was far earlier than what most people think. Do I have the answer to that? I don't. But we can always, we can always discuss it, that's for sure. <laughs> but... Nevertheless, it's good for us to look at it. It's earlier in it's earlier in its timing than if it is, and that's great. But it's still appropriate here for us to to just to look at the scripture. Let's look at verse. Let's see here, verse four and five. There in Job it says, and his sons went to feast and feasted in their houses, every one of them his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so that when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job had sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of all of them. And for Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to the pres present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Of course, what is he saying? He goes on to ask for you know him to be able to test Job. But there in verses 4 and 5, Job offers a sacrifice continually for his children. He says, maybe they've cursed God in their hearts. doesn't say explicitly there. But what was Job doing? He was putting it at the Lord's feet. Continually, as what is befitting of a father for their household or their children. He was putting it at the feet of the Lord to find it to deal with it, that he offered sacrifices for them. How many of us would be willing to do that for our family <laughs> or our brothers and sisters in Christ? That we would present prayers on their behalf or we would go to them to encourage them when they're struggling or they're sinning or whatever, whatever it may be. But we're commanded to do as much in the scripture, aren't we? We're commanded to, when our brother is caught in a trespass, to restore him in such a way that it doesn't destroy him. What was that was what was commanded of Job. I mean he he that was part of his worship there. We don't have time to, to go to all the places, but other 
uh, notable mention was uh, David. Of course, we mentioned her dancing in the streets before the ark and it's returned to the city of uh, Jerusalem there. The other is the, the presence of David before the Lord in his prayers of thanksgiving. And his petitions before the Lord. We could read the whole of Psalms for all that matter. Because what were the Psalms? Worship, wasn't it? It was talking about worship, honoring the Lord, calling out to the Lord. And those Psalms were used in cor- corporate worship for Israel, which we'll go, we'll go into in later on. But for the sake of time, we don't have time to, to continue today. But so what is, our, what is our service of worship? I would encourage each one of us to look at ourselves and as a whole as an assembly, what it is that God finds acceptable in us. What it is that we need to strengthen. Is that not what the letter to the, the churches in Revelation was over there in the second and third chapter there? Jesus specifically called out one of the churches and said, I have this against you, that you've lost your first love. It wasn't an indictment, it was rather a calling to attention. You gotta fix some of these things. Because at one point their worship was acceptable and he says, I got this against you. You don't have this, you know, you're not, you're not looking at this the way you should. But what we should be doing is we should be examining our scripture, our, our, the scripture daily and we should be examining our lives and how we serve as an assembly together and see if it's acceptable before God. So again, rhetorical question, what should our service be? What should our worship be? But what is commanded of us in the scripture? We see here as the acknowledging the patriarchs there in the Old Testament there that they submitted to God. Abraham did, ready to even sacrifice his own son. Some of us need to consider, all of us need to consider what it is we're willing to do for the Lord. Because when the time comes and Difficult times have come and they're coming even more so each day. We have what it takes in our, in our service to the Lord to do what we're called upon to do. Scripture talks about parents against children and children against their parents and different diverse things happening and things going on in this world that are happening now and are being fulfilled. The time is right for us to do what is right before God in our worship. May we do what is required of us before God. That's all.